Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to preview the SU Holy Cross game this weekend. I, I don't think we need to get into X's and O's here. Um, I think this is an opportunity for Syracuse to rest up, and, and I think what's most interesting about this game is it gives all of us a chance to evaluate players and, and see guys who we might not see again for the rest of the season or, or maybe who will earn an opportunity to play later in the year. Um, so this show's kind of going to be outlined where Julian and I will each get give five players we're, we're interested to see this weekend um and we'll kind of chat about that guy who probably won't be talked about um you know on many other podcasts so a good chance to to talk about guys we don't normally um let's just jump right in julian who, who's first on your list uh so number one for me is cam jordan i love uh looking at the outside and skill positions against uh lesser opponents teams uh who may not be as gifted on the outside uh, as a Syracuse, and my reason why is because we really get to see what the how these guys have developed over the years. They may be buried in the depth chart uh, because of talent ahead of them, older guys. But uh, Cam Jordan is someone who I thought was going to uh, pop up, and uh, right now it seems like he's bidding his time. But I remember when I first uh, came to Syracuse back in 2016, 2017, back again for school. And uh, Devontae McFarland, uh, an old running back who had played with me uh, back through uh, the Marone and Schaefer years, uh, was like, hey, man, do you uh, what do you know about uh, this guy, Cam Jordan? And I'm like, he looks big. And he's like, he's the real deal, man. I saw him play back in high school. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's doing something special. And he's like, yeah, I mean, he's got to put on some weight. And I was like, okay. And this is when he was like 6'3", 185, super skinny, right? Um, and now he's listed, I think, around 213, 210, 215 kind of guy. So I'm interested to see how he does. He's been getting a little bit of playing time these last few weeks. Uh, I'm interested to see how he does uh, getting more snaps. I expect him to get some targets this week, especially uh, once Syracuse jumps out to a pretty early league. But uh, I, I'm really uh, excited to see what he could do because he has the size and the, size and the, the frame and the body type that seems to be really successful in Syracuse's offense, especially on the outside at receiver. Uh, he has that same Ishmael type of body, you know, that big 6'2", 6'3", frame, uh, very similar to uh, the build that Syracuse likes to go to when the number one receiver. So if he shows the promises, I would love to see how he does. And uh, those outside playmakers, those young guys, are going to have a lot of opportunities to show what they can do. Yeah, I was interested to see Cam uh, jump in. For about, I think, a series and a half against Western Michigan, I, Taj came off. I don't know if – I saw the injury tent go up, so I don't know if he got dinged or they just wanted to give Cam a little bit of run. But, you know, I talked to him this spring, and he said he was really working on being more physical, especially at the line. Uh, he said Jamal no. Custis was someone who he kind of looked up to a little bit last year, somewhat similar frames. I think Jamal's a little bit longer, um, but kind of similar challenges in creating space. So that's something he's working on. And, and it's actually – I'm glad you mentioned Cam because the first guy I wanted to mention is – probably the person who will be throwing the ball to him a lot, uh, Clayton Welch. You know, I, I I think if everything goes right for Syracuse this year, Clayton Welch doesn't necessarily play a meaningful snap. But the last time that happened was, I think, 2012 with Ryan Nassib. It's just so difficult to go through a, fo- a full football season running a tempo offense without, you know, having to lean on your backup quarterback at some point. 
you know, Clayton really hasn't played any serious snaps. You know, he's coming in mop-up time. He was the three behind Tommy and Eric last year. He's kind of been the two since with Rex Culpepper pushing him. Um, so I, I want to see what he can do. You know, I want to see him make reads. I want to see uh, – he's a big guy. He's 6'5", 240 plus, his mobility. Um, just what does this guy look like on the field? I know it, it isn't necessarily the best indicator for how he'll perform if he's called into mm-hmm. an ACC game, but – Look, I mean, for as long as you've been covering the team, the backup quarterback is is one of the most important guys on the roster, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too is when when you're a backup guy, especially the quarterback position, uh, it, it's so valuable to get in game reps. There's only so much that you can do uh, from a practice standpoint, whether that's uh, just getting team reps and everyday Wednesday, Thursday practices, or actually out there. Uh, scrimmaging and it's a little bit faster tempo uh, even still it's not the same as the game one because D linemen and linebackers and everyone else can actually hit you so the pressure of contact and having that four five really three to four second window to get the ball out there and and play real football again I think that's really important for a quarterback and their development because when you're sitting back there and only taking uh, reps uh, in practice and scrimmages and then mental reps on the sideline, uh, it, it, it's certainly different from actually being in the game. And I think that really is helping DeVito right now because he got those reps last season, whether that was against Notre Dame, getting in early against Western Michigan, those small spots against UNC and Florida State. Um, I think that bit of experience uh, actually helped him this year to make the most of uh, this, these first few games, uh, even if they seem to be poor out. And I think he's actually been able to squeeze out um, about as much as he could uh, using some of the experience he had in the past. So for Clayton, I think getting in this week will certainly help his development because when you're actually in the game uh, taking reps, it's definitely more beneficial uh, to your development rather than just sitting around in practice or uh, these scrimmages where things may be either slower or don't have the uh, same level uh, of intensity. For sure. Uh, who you got next on your list? Uh, so Juan Wallace at linebacker. Okay. I've been super uh, – these IMG guys, man, and I've always been amazed at uh, the uh, program that they've been able to uh, put that, put together down there in Florida where they just build up these athletes. I remember when I was uh, doing the CFL circuit, uh, we did a few workouts uh, at IMG, and the high school kids were bigger than me. And I was like, <laughs> what are you guys eating? What are you guys doing? How are you training? And the way that they're set up to succeed at the next level, and again, I think the the IMG uh, facilities are almost nicer than Syracuse's and a lot of D1 programs. So uh, very interesting to see how uh, this linebacker development uh, is looking beyond the starters. Juan Wallace, Michael Jones, um, I think those guys uh, really have some opportunities to step up uh, and to see if they can make some plays at this level. I mean, again, if you're sitting back, and constantly just taking mental reps or only moving around in practice to get back in the game when you've uh, been, what, two and three years removed from high school, to step back on the field and, and actually be at a playing level I think is really important for a lot of guys. It was for me. I think my first time really getting out there again was uh, against a team like, um, oh, what was it? It was like some Wagner or something like mm-hmm. that. And uh, just the feeling of playing college football, no matter the level, was much different than high school. So uh, for these guys, linebacker depth is so key because they're still in question. And 
to know who's there and what kind of plays can be made, I think that gives the coaches an opportunity to see, okay, to really reevaluate uh, their linebacking core and, and know who they can put in there, who, can, who they can trust. So I'm looking at Juan Wall as a young guy. I've been high on him. I thought he was nice in camp last year. I'm surprised he hasn't, been played, hasn't played as much as I thought he would, but uh, he's someone I'm really looking into this week, and I think he might have a big game against Coley Cross. Yeah, I mean, not to look too far down the line, but obviously Lakeem and Armstrong aren't coming back next year. So if you're the coaching staff, you got to know what you have. Do, do you think those two are exactly. ready to start? Is Lee Cobra ready to start? Uh, or do you have to go get a grad transfer? So, you know, I think this is an opportunity for those guys for sure. Um, my second guy is someone who, honestly, I thought we'd see already. We haven't. Juar Jordan, freshman running back, uh, second fastest guy on the team after Carl Jones. I think he ran 4-3-3. I could be wrong. I think four three three in the summer, um, and this is a guy who got here in the spring and was flashing right away, running past the first team mm-hmm. defense on on twos versus ones. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and he he really picked it up in fall camp too. So I mean, he's someone who has game changing speed. I think the issue is at the running back position for Syracuse. If you want to be out there for a full series, you need to be able to go tempo. You need to know the protections. You need to know the play calls, and you need to you need to be trusted. Um, so, if you're asking me why we haven't seen him so far, that's probably what I would point to. Now, that said, I think this offense could use all the speed it can get, especially before the Western Michigan game, where we saw somewhat of a running game. You know, teams can just pin their ears back and come after Tommy. So, you know, the screen game has worked with Abdul pretty well, um, but I, I think Juar is a guy who brings something a little bit different. Uh, maybe you can move him to the slot and do some different things, but. Man, for a guy that fast, and, uh, you know, he had another year actually after high school. He was fixing up some academics. So, you know, he is a little Mm -hmm. older. I know he's light. I think he's 160, 165. Um, But, yeah, I want to see him, basically. I want to see what the deal is. Yeah, I think for Juwa, I think the biggest thing for him is just it really might really just be the playing weight and getting the size necessary uh, to play. I remember Mo Neal. Uh, back in, I think his first year was 2016. He was a, a skinny running back as well. I mean, he had a ton of speed, and obviously he's developing, growing into a starter and a, uh, a top-tier uh, ACC running back. I think for Jawar, when you've got that much speed and, and that kind of ability, the thing is just having the weight because speed at the running back position is more important, I think, in the short yard situation than it really is going down the field in those big highlight uh, home run, uh, long runs that we typically see and think of when we think of fast running backs. But I think of it more as hitting the hole hard, uh, getting to the assigned gap and where the run is designed to go, uh, understanding a defense and reading it and seeing where where you fit in, uh, both in the in the blocking game as well. And I think that's probably what's been holding him back as a freshman. One, the size aspect. If you're 160 pounds, it's really hard to, uh, as a coach, trust a guy to, to, to bring you in um, in pass protection, which is something really uh, that's been an issue for Syracuse so far. Um, it's hard for me if I was a coach to put him in there and say, hey, I need you to pass block and, and take on this 250-pound linebacker or this uh, 285 defensive end who's running at you with four or five speed. So I think that's probably holding him back. And also, uh, more than likely, just the mental aspect and growing as a player and understanding where he needs to be. So uh, I, I, that's likely uh, the issue there as, as a freshman. But he's got so much speed, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun to, to see him on the field. And hopefully, uh, you're right, I hope he, uh, he gets a chance here against Holy Cross as well. Yeah, he's got four games to play and still redshirt. I, I, I think you got to at least give him a chance to get out there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Julian, who's next? 
I've got okay, and this isn't fair, um, <laughs> but I'm going to do it because he, he's a Dwyer guy. Cameron Jonas, yeah, my guy, it. Cam Jonas, <laughs> down at Dwyer. Uh, he's a safety, and he's someone who coming in was a, a huge recruiting get for Syracuse because of the he had a ACL injury. He was someone who's looking at Florida State, um, a few SEC programs. I remember. Uh, coaches were saying, "Oh my goodness, we're so excited to get this guy!" Like, now nah, we think we think we could compete now. And I'm like, "Yeah, man, he's the real deal." I worked out with him. He was my test dummy when I was uh, still training and, and trying to get back into the league. And I would go to the high school and say, "Yo, Coach D, who who do you have that I can work with?" And he's like, "I got a guy, uh, Cam. Put him at receiver. We think he's pretty good." And this is going to embarrass me entirely, so please, guys, don't make too many Julian Wiggum jokes. But the first time out, uh, I line up with him, pressing him, thinking, okay, let's see what he's got. Not going to take him too seriously. I'll just work the technique and go. The guy takes off on a fade route against me, and I'm like, all right, come on, dude. Like, we're working short yardage, whatever, right? Like, okay, of course you're going to do that. And he goes up top and catch the football. I fall, embarrass myself. I'm the guy who just finished college, um, was playing in the NFL, and I got a high school kid uh, jumping over, catching the football over me. Probably the most embarrassing football moment I ever had in my life. I'm like, oh, man, this this kid might be pretty good. And then the next 10 reps, uh, I just had to bury him at the lines. I'm like, all right, dude, <laughs> you, you can never, ever, ever be able to tell people this happened because now I got to show everybody why you know I'm the guy and you're still in high school but uh, from that moment uh, I, I, I was like okay this kid had talent he had the vertical he was already strong I think he was 200 pounds when I met him in high school and watching him as a DB as well when I would kind of go through you know some of my uh, training regimens with him I'm like man this, this kid he gets it he's got the size he already knows how to backpedal plant um, he doesn't make, you know, just weird mistakes that see uh, young DBs make playing with the wrong foot, um, overthinking stuff. But he, and he had natural ball skills. So uh, when he was coming in, I was really excited because I'm like, man, this kid has everything that you want in a safety. He's got range. He can hit. Um, and other programs saw that. So when he had the ACL injury, it's like, dang, man, it's going to take him a little while to get back. But it seems like he's – and last I talked to him, I talked to his family. They're all like, he's doing well. I mean, he's ready to go. So, it's just, it's just a very – they're very, very talented right now. Syracuse is at, at the, in the secondary. So, uh, to have him still sitting there has uh, surprised me, but it speaks to the, the level of talent that they have. Andre Sisco back there, obviously Cordy, uh, another guy, Nevin Foster, who's, who's proven himself as a capable starter. So, they have so much talent at the top. It's hard, been hard for him to, him to rise. But knowing how much talent that he has, uh, as as a uh, as safety and as an athlete, I'm excited to see if he can get a chance to get out there. Uh, I want to see how he's developed since the uh, the ACL injury. Is the speed still there? Is he reading defenses? Can he come up and hit and tackle? Uh, and then, of course, he's a Dwyer guy, so I know he can play. So it's just a matter of getting him out there. And uh, Cameron Jordan, he, he's he's my third guy on the list, man. He, I think he's a talented cat. Yeah, you know it'll be interesting to see because Cisco. There's no way Cisco plays, even if he's ready. There's just no good reason to put him out there. I don't think Antoine Cordy plays. So then, you know, there's going to be a lot of snaps out there for the backup safeties. It seems like Eric Coley is kind of next in line after those two guys yep. and, and Evan Foster. Uh, Devon Clark has kind of been in the mix. So I, I think we'll see a lot of him. Um, 
And then, yeah, probably some of Cam. And we'll see if, if freshman Neil Nunn plays. I know a lot of people have been asking about him based on kind of what Dino said a couple weeks ago. You know, I, I think he's genuinely just kind of working his way up. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what happened. He wasn't practicing for some personal reason at, at a, for a couple days in camp. Um, so no no info there. But, you know, I think it's definitely an opportunity for the safeties given the game and, and given the guys who are out in front of them. Um, but the next guy on my list is actually someone on the D-line, Steve Linton. Uh, 6'5", really long guy, someone who definitely physically needs to put on some weight to be able to battle against ACC tackles. But, man, is he fast, and and he is long, and and he's someone who I think, you know, two or three years down the line, well, you know, maybe he'll pass kind of a lot of the freshmen in his class as far as expectations. Uh, So, you know, I think he had a foot injury during camp. Um... He did, I believe, dress for the Western Michigan game, although he didn't play. Uh, so I think that's really the an ideal opportunity for an edge rusher to just go out there and kind of get acclimated to kind of the speed of the college game. Obviously, that's not ACC speed, but um, but yeah, I want to see what he can do because he's he's athletically a guy who can do things that I, I don't think a ton of players on the team can. No, absolutely. I just want to stick there with him as well. Uh, see, I think that. When you've got the defensive end that the defensive ends that Syracuse has had these last couple of years with Alton Robinson, Kendall Coleman, uh, typically, you know, they're one. Obviously, they have a very special talent. And both guys are strong, long, capable cats. They get after the quarterback. They have their own individual uh, abilities to have that nose for the ball and 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 get up the field. Uh, but. I like to look for, okay, is this something that Syracuse can rely on in the future? Is there a co- something here that's being coached that teams just can't seem to figure out? Is the technique uh, being passed down? Are young guys soaking this up and, and learning from older cats? So, yeah, when you bring up Steve, I, my thought is yeah, I would love to see him go out there and make some of the plays that we are sort of – to become accustomed to uh, from Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson because it's like, okay, there's some continuity here on the defensive line. And I really want to see that entire, like all of the youth on a defensive line uh, make some plays and, and show that they're capable because this defense is made by the defensive line. It, it's not, it doesn't rely on pressure from linebackers and uh, defensive backs like it used to, but when they're getting pressure with just a, a four and three man rush on the quarterback and making stops in the run game, it makes everyone's job so much easier and much more difficult as an opponent because there's a ton of extra guys in coverage instead of uh, the typical four that you may have from DBs. You got extra linebackers clocking up the middle, and then you've got pressure from the front four guys. And you've got you're trying to make plays, and if you got two guys in your face, and then another seven in the back in, in the uh, defensive backfield covering all of your receivers, it's very hard to play football. And we've seen that from Syracuse, whether uh, especially against the Florida State, I thought that was uh, one of the best defensive games they've ever played uh, under Coach Babers. And when the defensive line is at their best, I've said it for years now. That's when the defense as a whole is at their best so really excited to see that second wave of defensive linemen get in the game because really want to see if it's something that's been coached or if it's just a matter of having uh, superior talent on the outside which is sometimes the case but would really like to see the development how those guys have learned from two special talents up front because again when this defensive line is at their best so is the rest of this defensive unit totally agree and, and re-watching the western michigan game man <laughs> Alan robinson was 
I think it was maybe the best game I've seen from him. I don't have his numbers mm-hmm. up in front of me. I think he just had a couple tackles for loss, maybe a couple sacks. You know, they just don't do it justice. I mean, my goodness, he was in the backfield every passing down. It was, it was really something else. Um, against, you know, he he was manned up on Spencer Cans a lot, and that was just a bad matchup. But it was it was still really dominant. Um, all right, so we have each given three players, and we haven't managed to overlap yet, Julian. Who you got for number four? Four, I'm sticking in the secondary. Alan Strickenzer. Uh He's not a young guy. I think, I think he's a was he redshirt sophomore. He's a junior. junior. He's a junior. Yeah, um, yeah he, but he's someone, uh, again, this secondary depth with all the injuries kind of concerns me a bit, knowing who's going to step in, where guys can move around and play. And I bring him up because I had a conversation with him, I think this was, when was I on campus, 2017, and we're just doing a quick interview, going back and forth. Finally, I stopped the recorder. So I'm like, how do you like him, man? Because he was a running back. You know, he was recruited as a running back and then flipped over to the defensive side of the ball. So I'm like, how do you like it? I know it's a transition. Um, it's all about technique. I mean, if you're an athlete, I think playing corner is something that you just have to learn and, and really try to understand, you know, the foot technique and all that. So I'm asking him because, you know, I can feel for it. And he's like, yeah, I'm not. And you could sense that. He didn't quite like it yet. Um, <laughs> still, I, <laughs> which was fine. I mean, I'm like, if you play offense and you want to score touchdowns, I get it. Um, but it seemed like he didn't quite like the position yet. He was still getting used to it. And we were talking about uh, how some receivers get off the line. We were laughing together about how Custis um, was still pulling corners through, you know, grabbing the shoulders and just kind of using his length to get by you. And I'm, I was teaching him, like, hey, this is how I figured him out. Um, and inside of the locker room when you're a DB, especially at corner, like you figure out how to uh, beat receivers. Like every single one, there's like a, a, a way to beat. Like that's how, okay, that's how you get this guy. I remember like Kobina. He, used to, he was the scariest receiver to me my freshman year because he was so fast and I didn't have the same speed or the technique to slow him down. Once I figured out how to win the line, all of a sudden, Kobina was one of my easiest covers. I hope I'm sorry, Kobina, my bad man. But um, he was one of my easiest covers because I figured him out, and you know, development wise, that was what he relied on. And then once he was able to shut that down, he became you know any other receiver. Uh, for Allen, we were just kind of going over that as well. Like, okay, how do you beat this guy? Do you know how to beat this guy? And I'm giving him all my knowledge on the guys that were still left on teams that I had played. And from that point to the last time I talked to him, which was after I left and come back just for a little while, it seemed like he had really grown into the position. Uh, he was talking about guys that he looked up to in the NFL playing corner. And I'm like, okay, this guy's bought in. He wants to get better. Uh, and then seeing him out there, he's just so technically sound. Like, he doesn't seem to make any mistakes. Uh, he's one of those guys, you put him in there for, you know, 15, 20 plays a game, and he'll come out with, 18 or 19 pluses and then what that means is just like okay that's a good job it's either a plus or a minus a minus means you didn't do your job plus means you did he's so technically sound he typically seems to come out like one of those guys who has you know a 95 percent plus rate even though he may not get interceptions or fumbles he does his job and plays uh to his assignment so consistently so i really want to see him uh continue to get playing time because man he's if you're someone who gets your job right all the time, eventually the ball is going to start coming your way just by the nature of you being on the field as well. So 
I'm hoping he gets a bunch of extra snaps, especially with the way that Syracuse's secondary has been looking with injuries and kind of questioning, okay, how are they going to shuffle around uh, the defensive backfield? Because, you know, you, you kind of see uh, some, some weak points and a little bit of leakage there. So having Allen there, I think that he could be a real strong point for Syracuse. He's a smart football player, knows where to be. Um, and then just by nature, being on the field more often, I'm excited to see what kind of ball skills he's developed. And if, once it comes his way, uh, what he's able to do. So I want to see him make some plays. And I think he can uh, help his stock as well with the coaches uh, with a good game this weekend. Yeah, I can't think of a bad play he's made. And, and again, limited snaps over the last year plus. But the interception in the Camping World Bowl, he had a nice pass breakup on the sideline against Western Michigan. And this is a guy, yep. even even when he was in high school, like he, he said he wanted to play running back at the college level. He had an offer from Michigan to play cornerback. So this is someone who had the mm-hmm. feet, had the hips, you know, had the physical tools where college coaches thought, you know, hey, we can turn this guy into a, a really good cornerback. And, you know, I think we've seen some of that uh, this year, him, him playing nickel. You know, we talked about this in the last podcast with Ifatu Malfanu out. I kind of thought we'd see Trail go to field corner. And uh, and Stritzinger come on a little more at nickel. Obviously, they went with Scoop Bradshaw with his experience. Totally understandable. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I want to see. I want to see more Stritz. Um, all right, my fourth guy, Courtney Jackson, probably someone who's practiced against Stritzinger a lot. Uh, really fast mm-hmm. slot receiver, good hands, um, <clears throat> just kind of quick. I was really impressed with him this spring and his ability to get into small spaces. Um, and he's someone who hit the ground running. Frankly, he's technically a co backup on the depth chart. While Nikeem Johnson was out in the spring, I think he got a lot of run and made a lot of plays, but he, he hasn't played at all, you know, this fall. And I think a lot of there are a lot of things that have gone into the lack of success in the passing game. First and foremost, the offensive line. You know, we, we've seen some, uh, you know, route running slash quarterback issues where, where guys aren't necessarily on the same page. Um, so maybe that's kind of prevented the slot receivers, Sean Riley and Nakeem Johnson, from really producing at a high level. Uh, but, hey, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a little injection of youth got that group going. And, I mean, Co- I think Courtney's going to play a lot against Holy Cross. So, you know, he's someone who I could see pushing those guys for reps you know if, if he can go out and have a good game and, and you kind of get a little bit bigger piece of the pie as the year goes on absolutely yeah all right four for four uh who's your final guy i'm going with jarvie and howard am i allowed to do that he's soft we played yeah. but not at the level i thought he his snaps would increase so he had uh what was the number 68 carries last year uh, for Syracuse, and there was a few big runs. Uh, the guy is built like a brick, uh, 5'10", I think he's 215 pounds, uh, someone who I thought would be a great goal line uh, asset for Syracuse. And as a young running back, I thought he played well in the bowl game. Uh, and throughout the season, there were just times when he really shined, and I thought he was going to be, you know, Syracuse's next great running back. And I thought he would have, you know, really uh, been a bright spot for Syracuse's offense this year. I know they have a lot of depth at running back, but again, he was—he's such a talent, you know, coming out of high school. I mean, this guy has to break some plays, and we haven't seen that yet from him. And I think this is gonna—I think he's more of a guy using this weekend as an opportunity, again, as another 
evaluation tool for him to show, hey, this is what I can put on tape. This is how well I am. And you may not be able to show those things in practice just because of the way they're set up. A lot of plays are scripted. Uh, you're supposed to be tackled at this yard line. Uh, there's not much wiggle room if you're on scout team to kind of show what you can do because you're supposed to follow the, the, the cue card. Uh, I think if he can get in the game and show off what he's been able to uh, to, to do and the way he's grown uh, this season, I think that's going to be a, a big key for him and showing uh, adding some things to his uh, film this year. And then the other thing, I'm, maybe I'm just buying into the La Familia hype and, and, and seeing him <laughs> there uh, as well. But he's someone who, again, big in the weight room, uh, someone who I'm thinking, you know, if he was on our old teams uh, just a few years ago, I think he would have been competing for a start job already. And I think he'd been really valuable in someone like Coach Marone's offense as well, who values those big running backs. Kind of reminds me of Jerome Smith, uh, last thousand yard back. So for him, I just want to see him kind of get back into rotation, uh, show what he can do. I think that uh, Mo Neal has done a great job. Uh, the cat from Oklahoma has done a great job. But I think as a third back, I, I would really have to see Juwan Howard uh, get in there, Jarvie and Howard get in there and uh, show what he can do against Holy Cross. I think he has a lot of ability and a chance to really be a great back for Syracuse. Yeah, I agree with you there on Jarvion. And what's kind of interesting is, you know, after that Abdul Adams fumble around the four-minute mark of the third quarter of the Western Michigan game, he didn't come back on the field on offense. So, you know, that that definitely breaks the pattern we've been seeing with him and Mo uh, kind of roughly splitting series. And, you know, Abdul had a couple fumbles at Oklahoma, and, and that, I think that was part of, you know, he also had a bit of an injury and some good players came in. That was part of the reason why he ended up leaving. Um, so we'll see if if kind of the status quo have has changed there, if we see more Mo, if Jarvion gets in the mix, if we mentioned Jawar Jordan earlier, or, you know, if it was as simple as, hey, you know, you know you're sitting the rest of this game and, um, you know, we'll pick things back up where they were. Obviously, Mo Neal... Uh, had a fumble as well on an option pitch he couldn't hold on to. So, you know, it's 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 an issue throughout the backfield. Um, but maybe there is more of an opportunity for Jarvion because he definitely has the power. And I figured we'd see him a little more in late-game situations. But I think Abdul's hard-running style has eaten into that a little bit. All right, let's, let's close it out. My last guy, Patrick Davis, junior offensive lineman. And I think pretty clearly the sixth guy on the line right now unless Sam Heckle comes back. Yep. Um, we saw him fill in at right tackle for Ryan Alexander for a couple series. I actually thought he played well. He was moving pretty good in pass protection. He had a nice second-level block uh, on a Mo Neal run uh, just before halftime to get a first down. Western Michigan had called timeout. It was like third and four. Um, they ran Mo up the middle, and, and you know they got the first down so they wouldn't have to give Western Michigan a, a short field to score again. It was it was an important block. Um so, you know, I, I think he's a guy who who's played. He's played all three positions on the line. He's versatile. And, I mean, look, those guys are dinged up up front in some parts, you know. And it's it's not not hard to imagine him having to play a significant role down the stretch. So this is probably an opportunity for him to get more reps, build a little bit of confidence. And, um, yeah, so, so he's my fifth guy. Uh, all right, that is what we got for that. Let us pull up some fan questions. I know we kind of hit on some of them. There was a lot of Jawar Jordan stuff. Um, but, but one of the guys who I've kind of been asked about, and I, I see it down here in a couple tweets, uh, is Kadir White. He is a, mm. a, a redshirt freshman 
offensive tackle? I believe so. I've been writing about him for so long. It's like he's only only his second year here. People are kind of asking where he's at in his development. You know, I talked to him in the spring, and, and people you know said a lot of good things, that he's working hard. and he's, You can see physically he has lost weight. Um, I think picking up the plays has been – uh, a struggle for him, but I will say this: you know, his high school coach told me basically, don't judge him until the two-year mark. Don't do it. You know, he's someone who needs that time. I think physically and mentally. I think for people who work with him on a daily basis, that may be hard to embrace that mindset. Um, so I, I think he's kind of come along a little slower than some people have developed, uh, have, have some people have expected. But at the same time. You know, I guess he could break through at a certain point. I'm kind of curious with you, Julian, from you being on the team and covering guys. Is there like a late bloomer who you can kind of point to as someone who maybe you thought people had kind of given up on, and then lo and behold, you know, he kind of pans out. Yeah. So um, two guys. First one is uh, Alvin Cornelius. He was a receiver at Syracuse. Um, I think he came in. He might have been a two- or three-star recruit. I don't know how big he was uh, coming in, but he kind of went uh, underneath the fold for, I think, most of his career. I think he was, uh, you know, just about a career backup. But in, uh, I think it was the 2014 or 2015 season, all of a sudden he was breaking out for these big 38, 78-yard catch, like just long balls where all of a sudden he started to become – uh, a targeted guy on the offense, and it was like, oh man, uh, this guy can can actually play. Uh, he didn't quite uh, become the number one guy or a, a major major contributor uh, to Syracuse uh, Syracuse's offense as a receiver. But the development, watching him as a freshman to uh, what he became at the end of his career, it's like oh, this guy. He got a lot better and ended up becoming a contributor. Where freshman year, I don't think coaches even off to the side. Uh, another guy is Brisley Esteem. Again, I can only talk about running backs because, uh, excuse me, receivers because that's who I dealt with. I remember Brisley. Uh, I think he, he ended up turning into one of you know Syracuse's best receivers his senior year, and I could really uh, lump in Earl Phillips here as well. Uh, both of those guys, when I covered them, and they were playing receiver as freshmen, they were. Probably again, it's freshmen. They were my easiest covers. It's like, all right, put some hands on them. Neither of them had the weight to get off of it. Uh, Brisley hadn't learned any uh, uh, releases yet, and then uh, Earl Phillips had, was a running back in high school. So him coming to receiver, that was that was easy lunch. So, but watching these guys develop, Brisley ended up turning into one of my most difficult cover covers because. He had this amazing footwork. Uh, he developed in the weight room and figured out, okay, if I do this, this works well for me. This is what kind of receiver I can be. And all of a sudden, he started to fit that slot returner kind of role, and he became so quick and agile. I was like, dude, this kid is the worst to guard because I have to bend down. He doesn't let me get hands on him. I have to chase him around. If you're a big, long, tall corner like I was, that's the worst part of your job is trying to catch the – quicker receivers you want to deal with guys who are your size or bigger because then you can get in their chest and really kind of uh you know play bully ball with them those smaller guys they take contact and if you can't touch them you got to catch them it's difficult so his development was a lot of the weight room you know he got uh, much stronger i think he came in as like 160 talking about a brisley here it was like 160 and i think he ended up leaving around 185 190 and he was just a bowling ball and so strong um 
but he also developed agility-wise, and his releases were so uh, difficult to to cover because he had so much speed and uh, that like tap tap dance and speed kind of movements. It's like, dude, I can't deal with you right now. So, uh, in terms of development for the offensive line and someone like Kadir White, I think the biggest thing for him is. One, I think we kind of touched on the weight thing. I, I noticed that when he was coming in. He was like 337 pounds, I think his listed weight was. And uh, just looking at his body type, I'm like, all right, they're going to ask him to lose weight. So that was probably the biggest thing for him is a red shirt. Then the second part, again, we touched on, was just learning the playbook, understanding where to be. That's everything every young guy struggles with. Some guys, and we talked about this in an earlier podcast, the closer you are to the ball – on the line of scrimmage, the harder it is for you to get on the field because, one, there's a physical aspect you have to overcome, and then there's more of a mental aspect that you have to overcome. Receivers, corners on the outside either have four coverages to learn or on the other side you've got six, seven different routes that you have to learn and on what play do you do it. On the outside, it's really easy to get on the field early, and that's why we see it. On the inside, near the line of scrimmage, those quarterbacks and those big uh, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, it's, it's a little bit harder to get on the field because of the physicality required to play the position. And then because there's so much more happening mentally on the line of scrimmage, offensive linemen make a ton of different calls throughout a game, understanding what kind of front they're getting, uh, where blitzes are expected, how to close down the gap, uh, where they need to get to, and all of those things play a factor. So the fact that he hasn't played yet is not an issue for me. Because even though he is a four-star recruit, it takes time for linemen to develop. They're usually uh, the slower to develop kind of guys, but once they get in, they've got it. You know, they're like baby elephants. You don't want to put a small one out there yet because they're going to get bounced around by a tiger or something. Let them grow, and all of a sudden they're huge, and no one wants to mess with them. I think that's the case for most offensive linemen as well. Let them grow into uh, where they fit on the offensive line, and then once you can entrench them and put them there – Typically, they're pretty good. I'm thinking about, you know, the big-time programs here and how they develop guys. They always redshirt those offensive linemen first. Then once you stick them in there, typically they tend to be uh, two or three and four-year three-year starters for you. So give them some time. I think Kadir just has to get the technical aspect down. And then once the physical stuff takes care of itself and mentally the longer he's in the program, the easier it's going to become for him. I think he becomes a starter for Syracuse, but it's okay to give guys time now. But I wouldn't worry so much about, oh, he was a four-star. Why isn't he playing for us? He was already big. Well, just because you're big doesn't mean you're necessarily strong enough or in the type of shape that you need to be in. So there's plenty of room for him to grow. And then uh, once, just like his high school coach said, once you get him in there, give him two years. Once you get him in there, he'll be a player for you. So that four-star rating will most likely come out next year when he's a starter and that's uh, everything that he needs from a physical standpoint, mental standpoint. Uh, but once he's in there, I expect him to be a, a very valuable contributor to Syracuse. But for now, uh, just giving him the time that he needs on the offensive line, I think that's most important. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say for me the the jury is still out, but I, I definitely think your point about, about patience is important here. And you know, maybe we see a little bit of something from him on Saturday. We'll see what the second team line looks like, maybe get a feel for who the staff likes, who the staff doesn't like. Um, you know, he was he was someone who was just off of my five, so definitely an interesting yeah. guy to monitor. Um, all right, we usually do predictions here. I don't. It's kind of a fruitless effort. I guess I'll, I'll just you know say this: What are you kind of expecting? And does Syracuse cover thirty eight and a half? 
Yeah, but I'm expecting Syracuse to, to win by a lot. That was my score prediction, if you ask me. A lot to a little. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I, I expect Syracuse to, to, you know, go ahead and take care of this handily. I, I, my hope is that this game is completely over by the second quarter. I don't want any fans to be there anymore. Coach is having a good time. I want to see guys giggling on the sidelines, thinking about what they're going to do later on that night. Playing uh, some hangman? My, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Playing some hangman? Is it the Florida State yeah, game? Yeah, man. Play some hangman <laughs> on the sideline. You know, plan your outfits for uh, later that night when you go to Lucy's or something. I don't know. But I want the game to be over. I want it to, you know, just be a, a huge score, hoping 40, 50 points. And then you just really, as a defense, you don't want them to score. Be dominant all the way throughout. Uh, don't want to see many mistakes. Again, Holy Cross is one of those games I would have hoped was at the beginning of the schedule because it gives you a chance to kind of, you know, oil the knees and kind of get yourself right out of camp. But now that you have this game now, I'm excited to see those uh, young guys get in there. I'm hoping they read their keys, understand where they need to be, make some plays. So uh, biggest thing for me is just win by a lot, play sound football, no mistakes, very limited amount of mistakes. Um, and come out the, with the win and, and no injuries. That's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, no, I was going to say no injuries. <laughs> Definitely cannot afford – there's still a handful of guys on this team that, like, if they get hurt, you know, Tommy, Tristan, uh, I think Aaron Service is really valuable. Obviously, Alton, Kendall. I think Lakeem Williams is really emerging as a guy who, who maybe is not perfect yet, but considering everything around him is really needed at middle linebacker. No. Um, and the secondary is already dinged up, so you kind of want to stay clean there as well. Um, yeah, I'd probably have Syracuse covering, get Tommy DeVito out of the game as early as possible, I'll, you know, get him some reps and all that good stuff. But, you know, there's no sense in, in risking him out there in a game like this, especially with a bye week coming up. Um, all right, that's all we got. For Julian Wiggum, I'm Stephen Bailey. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, whatever platform you use. Give us five stars. Tell everyone how much you love us, uh, even if you don't love us. And we will talk to you after the Holy Cross game. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>